Welcome to another episode of We Only Pod When We're Winning. I'm Paul. We'll be joined by Pete. We'll be talking a little bit of A-League Grand Final, a little bit of transfer news, and a little bit of messy, and so forth. So join us on We Only Pod When We're Winning. Yeah, pounces this time. Late run from Luna. Noon looking at McLaren on the edge of the area. Here's the chance for Delbridge. What a moment for Melbourne City. In their first grand final, they lead 17 minutes in. Look at it right there. He's directly in front of Redmayne. There's no doubt about that. It could be argued so to Sydney players to a lesser extent. But if you watch here, just as he strikes, he's directly in front of him. He ruled out here. It's no goal for Harrison Delbridge. We're still goalless. Very similar time to when Sydney FC had one ruled out last year. Indeed, he's barely cast a shadow on the game so far tonight. Guys, you've got uh, Super Pete Novikowski and uh, Paul Fredrickson talking a little bit of football, the world game, and not much has happened this week at all, Pete. Ah, uh, well, hello. It is so good to hear your voice again. Yeah, look, it's been a really quiet week of football. I don't think anything's really going on, especially if we look at, you know, teams who wear red and blue jerseys. Uh, think about, like... Uh, teams who have won five Champions League medals in a row, um, an A-League grand final. It, to be blunt, it's been fairly quiet for everyone back home. Yeah, really quiet. And uh, we'll, we'll start with the local game. And um, what did you think of the A-League grand final? And a lot of people didn't even know it was on. Yeah, I, I can somewhat agree with that. There wasn't, uh, for me, I don't think there was a great deal of kind of marketing or branding about to kind of really promote it. Um, obviously, um, being as involved in the game as you and I are, we kind of wish there's always more oomph about it that, you know, full page spreads in the paper, um, plenty of, uh, reporting on the, you know, the telegraph poles that you drive past every day, all of that would have really helped. Um, but instead it was only, I found at least a couple of emails that found the back of my inbox and, uh, that was kind of the only promotion that I got. Yeah, and there's been a, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of talk that Foxtel may not have done enough to promote it. But I think a lot of people, you have to look at it, uh, you know, it's a two-sided coin, really. And the other side is they have put a tremendous amount into the local game um, financially as well. So I'm not paid by Foxtel. This is not an advert. But you have to kind of be devil's advocate and say, whilst it wasn't maybe promoted as well as it could have been, that also comes down to the A-League as an organisation promoting their grand final as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. For me personally, I think that there is uh, no doubt that unless uh, the A-League had Fox Sports on on board for the last, you know, last 10 years of the 15 years that we've had the A-League around, um, there's no doubt that the season probably would have been in a very different space than where we find it right now um, if we didn't have Fox Sports supporting in such a big way without the likes of, you know, Adam Peacock and his dedication recently, the the fact that you've got Archie Thompson sitting at home um, in lockdown down in Melbourne doing podcasts relentlessly. Uh, Mark Bosnich popping up on pretty much every TV show that you can think of on Fox Sports to just get the word out there. Um, yeah, massive, massive. Well done to Fox Sports. I just wish um, that 
our good friend Murray Shaw was still heavily involved in the organisation, but unfortunately it wasn't to be um, with him actually watching the early grand final from the sidelines for the first time um, after leaving Fox Sports earlier on in the season. And obviously then uh, the dulcet tones of Simon Hill now now with Optus. And, and once again, I'm just putting out there, we're not sponsored by Optus, we're not sponsored by Foxtel, we're an independent podcast uh, with no financial backing. I just want to make that really clear. Um, but what did you think of the game? Because I actually think it was a pretty underrated match. It could have gone either way. Yeah, look, fantastic fixture. If you think back to the semi-final between Melbourne City and Western United, United really started the better of the two teams and put on a whole lot of pressure. City sat back and didn't really know how to take that game. And it was the exact opposite come the grand final where Melbourne City came out and probably could have got a, a goal in the opening 20 minutes. Um, they created plenty of opportunities in front third. Jamie McLaren was causing so many problems uh, for the Sydney defence. Uh, you could see Ryan McGowan was kind of stuck in no man's land at times. Um, there was plenty of little tiny gaps that City were breaking their way through. But I guess we kind of have to obviously congratulate and celebrate the fact that Sydney FC uh, claimed back-to-back championships and um, really well done to be able to do that because it is an incredibly tough uh, gig to get back-to-back uh, titles in that way. But, look, uh, I, I just hope that Ryan McGowan uh, – sorry, not Ryan McGowan. I hope that uh, Ryan Grant left nipple has um, healed itself <laughs> and is no longer bruised after uh, scoring that goal towards the end of the game. And in saying that as well, with the game um, itself, a couple of bits of controversy, um, you know, penalties or no penalties given and a bit of VAR controversy. We expect that from the game these days. So your thoughts in that regards? Was it was it controversial? Yeah, of course. I don't think that there is an A-League grand final that hasn't really had VAR controversy in the last few years. And it, the thing is, it's, it's always going to be a part of the game as long as technology like this is involved in the game. Um, it's just somewhat really odd, the fact that, you know, the season started last year with VAR involved, it obviously stopped. And once the restart came around, VAR was not involved and then came back in for a final series. So it just seemed weird, the fact that you could chop and change rules whenever the competition really wanted it to. Um, but as we say, it, it's always uh, it's always going to be a sticking point whenever there's, you know, such an important fixture on the line and decisions go in a certain way. And you can see even uh, up in the grandstand, uh, a former A-League referee, Strabde Dolovsky, uh, he voiced his opinion at full time, uh, confirming that the VAR made the correct decision, ruling the Melbourne City goal as uh, not a goal, purely based on the fact that there was an obstruction of play. So, look, every referee who was kind of in the stands or was at the field, could see it a certain way. City fans would obviously see it a different way. Sydney FC fans see it a different way. It's just the nature of the game. And to tell you what, that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it exciting. A little bit of controversy. And we must, uh, as you said before, congratulate Sydney in a number of ways. Uh, The back-to-back, you know, championships and winning the Premier's plates in extremely difficult circumstances. Um, And, you know, it's fitting that the team who finished the home and away season on top actually won uh, the championship. And I know they're weird wording for people who are not used to the A-League. 
And the other side is we must congratulate them on being the most winning team uh, in Australian uh, football on a national level, whether that's the NSL or the A-League. I believe they've won the most titles ever by an um, Australian club. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I really appreciate the fact that uh, it seems like FFA are actually uh, welcoming this historical approach to record keeping at the moment. It, it seems like all of the articles which have come out in the uh, aftermath of the LA Grand Final celebrate the, the stats from the NSL, which had been broken during the LA Grand Final, that people are actually willing to talk about history and it's an odd feeling when people realise that football existed in Australia before 2004, uh, that there was actually a uh, an elite level of the game and that, you know, the history books are there to be remembered um, and to be celebrated as well in its entirety. Oh, absolutely. And it is the it is the legacy that, that we football supporters, I mean, I'm Queensland-based, um, your New South Wales-based, and there are so many brilliant teams that are still existing now in at the state levels and so forth that were part of the NSL at one time or another. And they proudly, um, you know, talk about that history of being part of that national competition. And, you know, we're looking at Canberra putting in a bid for an A-League spot. And expansion has seemed to be very along the lines uh, of the old NSL, not in terms of traditions, um, but in terms of um, where they're located. So, you know, we're still looking at very Victorian and very New South Wales-centric um, teams. Fantastic economically, yeah, it's, yeah. but it's very similar yeah. to the NSL in that regard. I, I agree, definitely, because you have to remember um, the competition might be strong in a certain area, but that doesn't mean you have to completely disregard everywhere else and kind of neglect them in a certain way. If anything, we should really be promoting uh, some of these other regions, for instance, other teams out in uh, Western Australia, it is such a huge space that there are so many athletes out there who feel neglected. Uh, likewise, Northern Territory, South Australia, even Tasmania. Um, there are so many regions, far north Queensland. I can see all the hard work that Zen and Caravella does up in far north Queensland. And these are regions which don't get recognised for their efforts. Uh, we're not saying that, you know, they should be straight away into the A-League and we should see a 20-team competition. It's not that. It's that there are enough players and there are enough good eggs out there who are promoting things in the right way, in the right regions, yeah. to see the great piece of development. And that's what needs to be celebrated. And there has to actually be that, that pathway. There has to be that, you know... Little kid from far north Queensland who says, as an eight-year-old, you know what, in six years' time, I want to be in an A-League academy. Well, okay, well, your whole family has to get up and move down to Brisbane. And you've got the stadiums. You've got the stadiums now. I mean, we are talking. We know there's economic uh, hurdles and so forth. There's only so many sports in Australia that can... Um, sustain national competition. So expansion is really hard. But if it was our, you know, we've spoken on this podcast before and John, one of our uh, uh, contributors, believes that we should be staying to a very Australian style of sport where finals are an integral part and promotion relegation um, shouldn't be part of that. And I really do see that viewpoint as well. Um, But it's just an interesting one. Do Do we push forward the next few years with promotion relegation? In a dream world, absolutely. But financially, I don't think we can do it. 
Yeah, exactly right. It, it, I guess it all comes down to the fact that you look at how vast Australia is as a nation and economically, as you say, it is so big that it would take so much effort um, and so many resources to make it viable. Uh, to put in perspective, okay, our uh, uh, men's MPL, their previous has been kind of a an MPL Cup of the best teams who have won all their men's MPL first grade competitions come together and play off against each other. Sydney United 58 FC, they've previously been champions of the MPL yes. competition. Compare that to what happens in the women's space, for instance, where currently the competition is between the women's MPL one champions against the Canberra women's MPL champions. And that's the only competition that kind of gets played. And, you know, what? well done to the likes of Sydney University FC and Alexia Parkes, the head coach, who have won that competition a couple of times now. But, look, we know the size of it and the, the, the likelihood of being able to really gather so many MPL clubs in such a space is limited. But, good gosh, we just have to hope that there is kind of a, a better connection between these states and the organisation between clubs so that, you know, we can actually all grow together. We're all trying to do the same thing. We might be doing it slightly differently, but as if we can all grow in the same direction, share resources rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, wow, we can make things so much easier for everyone. I mean, yeah, it's it's one that, you know, it would have been an exciting challenge to be either a state or, or the, you know, the FFA. Um, well, now you've got the A-week as a separate pair as well that, that crosses over. It would be an actual really exciting but daunting uh uh, task to take on, and it's going to take a lot of years there. So from a coaching perspective there as well, Pete, um, to present people with pathways as a, as a coach of women's teams, it must be exciting the fact that you've got so many of our stars going all over the world to play in top-tier competitions. That must be exciting from a from a coaching perspective. Look, it's, it's incredibly exciting because we have to remember it wasn't that long ago in the men's game where the pathway was quite literally you get to the age of 16 and either you head overseas to Europe to kind of finish off your development or you stay in Australia and basically become a first-grade player. And that wasn't that long ago. We're only kind of flicking back about 30, 25, even 20 years ago. That was really the pathway in men's football. Now we're kind of seeing a similar thing in the women's space where, you know, this has been brewing for the last two years, three years, that the powerhouse of football is going to be in Europe for the women's game. We can see that through the dominance that Olympic Lyon has had in the Women's Champions League, having won Champions League five times in a row. And the fact that this year they said that's probably going to be the last time that they win it, that they fully expect more teams to become more competitive. But Look, this is kind of the most exciting time for teenagers and young female footballers to say, look, there is actually a pathway to, you know, not just play here in Sydney and stay here in Sydney, that there is actually the option of, wow, I could go across to Europe. Um, Look, there's a young girl who I've previously worked with, Abby Lemon, who's currently on trial at a few clubs over in Spain. She's left year 12 HSC um, and she's gone across now to try and chase her dream over in Spain. And as an 18 year old, she's so excited about the, uh, the prospects of plotting a trade overseas. You've got the potential for an actual career in football, you know, playing in the British Premier League or the English Premier League for women. You've got uh, the women's La Liga, 
um, obviously, in, in, uh, Liga 1 in uh, France. So Europe is really, really strong. You've also still got um, the American pathway as well with the, the women's uh, football there. And, and good money for the girls as well. So uh, And women, I should yeah, say, girls. Sorry. The, US system. the US college system is a fantastic pathway for athletes to be able to progress through. Think about it. There are, from memory, uh, over 1,800 um, like locations or potential destinations for athletes to be able to go through. So if you start thinking about all of those as pathway, well, almost every player has the opportunity to, in some capacity, to head across and study either at a, a junior college and earn a uh, like a diploma in two years or earn a full bachelor's within four years. So you're studying and you're playing your football. You're learning some fantastic skills along the way. Um, we look at probably the smartest footballer at the moment is Amy Sayer. She ended up getting an ATAR, I believe, of 99.6 and gone across to Stanford. She's playing her trade over uh, studying over there, plus playing in the US college system and a fantastic opportunity for her. And there's plenty of other Aussies who are about to head across as well. Uh, again, Kiani Latham, uh, a player that I've worked with previously, she's headed across to the US system. Uh, there's uh, Oliver Adele, who's the uh, senior keeper over at Northwest Sydney Koalas. She's going to be heading across soon as well. Uh, Emma Bates, who's based up in Newcastle, she's about to head across into um, uh, South... Um, one of the southern states, sorry, I can't remember the team off the top of my head. I think it's the Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, so, look, there's so many opportunities to head across and actually, you know, learn and play together. And those stories are actually, um, you're finding them pretty easily in mainstream press now as well. I suppose the, the big fear in the next 12 to 18 months, if not longer, is um, the effects of college football. And when we say college football, we're talking the NFL brand, Gridiron. Um, it produces so much money for these athletes to receive scholarships. We're already starting to see some scholarships be reneged. So um, let's just hope that doesn't be the case. Um, you just have to look at a school, you know, like Notre Dame that gets 80000 a game or Alabama that gets 100000 a game for their gridiron. It actually subsidises so many of these other sports. So we really need that vaccine to get up and running, mate. Exactly right. The more people that you can have in the grandstands, the more people you can have involved in whatever capacity that they can, then suddenly it opens up so many doorways. You can see that people through the ticket gates is the lifeblood of pretty much every club. And you need that to be on a consistent basis. Um, there's plenty of clubs over in England who are facing the same thing. So they are looking for that support. And, mate, look, that's... Just to see those pathways in the, in the women you've just brought up are going to be, you know, some of them are going to be um, absolute stars of the game. Now, there is a star of the game that might be going through something at the moment. Here is Rittrack, Bratton demanding. Picking out right, Bratton, chesting it Sydney staring at another championship. Not a female one either, mate. So that'd be a good little segue there. Um, you you brought it up earlier, <laughs> Lionel Messi. Now, has he found his destination club? 
Oh, gosh. Uh, it depends on what hour and what newspaper that you're reading. But, uh, look, there's so many rumours going around at the moment, depending on the transfer fees that could get paid, whether or not um, – look, the, the latest talk that I've uh, started looking into is the fact that this could actually go into the Spanish courts based on his contractual um, agreements with the club because, obviously, he's in his final year of his contract at Barcelona. And there was talk that a transfer fee or a um, – uh, a release fee wouldn't actually be included in his final year of the contract, but the the club Barcelona are saying that no, that the 782 million uh, release clause is still in there and it's still in effect. Uh, the La Liga has backed Barcelona's um, opinion for now. And look, there's so many twists and turns in this story. Um, but the really odd thing was the fact that uh, Lionel Messi uh, did not turn up on the first day for his COVID testing and his medicals with the side, but then I believe he turned up on day two for training with the team. So the, the fact that he's turned up for training, uh, it, it just it, it asks more questions than I think it answers. Well, the seasons aren't far away, so it's going to have to happen pretty quickly. Um, now, the cause in that contract was that he could leave um, of a free uh, transfer uh, if he left before June, the start of June. And, uh, well, that's what's being reported. And, uh, obviously, if he had done that, he would have missed out on the opportunity to play in a Champions League uh, final, which, obviously, we all know how that turned out. So, it's um, a little nice little soap opera, which sports seems to throw up a lot, mate. So, what are we looking forward to in the next few weeks uh, from an international point of view? All the seasons are actually about to get underway. Yeah, it seems that way. So the Premier League does kick off in about two weeks' uh, time. So we'll be able to see what uh, what Leeds United are actually going to bring to this Premier League competition, uh, which will be very, very interesting. It'll also be really good to be able to see what's happening over in Germany, uh, to see what uh, Hansi Flick, with the likes of Bayern Munich, the best club in Europe at the moment, what he can really do with that side and whether or not there's going to be anyone who actually provides competition. We've seen with the likes of Borussia Dortmund recently uh, provide some competition, but we don't know whether or not that's really going to progress. Uh, but I'll tell you what, a really interesting fixture which uh, people should check out is actually going to be a, a Europa League qualifier, I believe, between Shamrock Rovers, who play in the oh. Irish uh, Premier League, against AC Milan. And uh, it's actually going to be played at Shamrock Rovers' home ground. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how these two teams play their so football. You're going to have, you know, uh, both teams are actually really traditional. Um, a really, um, it, although, you know, people who don't follow the game intimately might not know Shamrock, um, they're definitely going to know him after this time because AC Milan are not the powerhouse that they were in the uh, 80s and 90s. They are a shadow of themselves. Yeah, they are. They're going through a really big rebrand and a really big change as a football club themselves. It's actually funny, the the Shamrock Rovers uh, supporters have kind of dubbed themselves the AC Milan of the league themselves because they were previously a powerhouse and, and they're doing the same thing. They, they've gone through this big change. There, there's plenty of shifts and um, movements in not only the players, but also in the coaching staff, in philosophy at the top as well. So, yeah, there's so much going on between these two sides, which is why for me personally, I think this is probably the most exciting fixture in these qualifiers. Uh, but we also have some international qualifiers coming up as well. And all the news uh, across England has been the fact that 
Jack Grealish was not involved in the club, uh, in the national team setup, and then he was going to be offered a spot. Then he was told, no, actually, you're going to be playing as a, a winger if you do compete. Now he's been welcomed into the squad by Gareth Southgate, but told, no, you won't be playing in your traditional midfield role. Instead, you're going to have to compete uh, with the likes of Raheem Sterling as a wide attacker. So it'd be really interesting to see what role he will bring to this England national team. I just find it funny that England really does have some uh, really fast, very tight skills, like in, in tight comp- uh, spaces, players, and playing him out of position. I just, I mean, I'm a Villa fan, and I'm trying to stay out of this, uh, Pete. But uh, I just think if you've got guys with those close uh, in skills, they're going to draw the fouls in international competition. And I'm just, look, I'm not saying he deserves a spot in a team, but just the kind of, um, the explanations that have been given for, you know, why he's in or not in and so forth. You either pick someone or you don't. Um, Last year, he was told he needed to play more Premier League. Well, kept us up in the Premier League for a whole season. Barely missed the game. Almost single-handedly. Yeah. Almost single-handedly. He kept you the entire club 100%. up. 100%. So you, you've got that. So he's done that. Gareth Southgate, uh, obviously being a Villa legend as well. Uh, it's just some really weird explanations. Either play the guy or don't. Uh, we don't need... It. We're not silly. We, we, we don't get tricked by what managers and coaches are saying. We all know the game well enough. You want him in the squad, put him in the squad. If you don't, fine. That's fair enough and we can all move on. Yeah, exactly right. But uh, yes, now we do see the likes of uh, of Jack Grealish ply his trade for the national team, and it'll be really interesting to see what impact that he will have uh, in that setup. As well as it'll be really good to be able to see what the England setup is ahead of the Euros in twenty twenty one, and how kind of Gareth Southgate might be changing his lineup or potentially bringing different tactics at a national team level. Uh, especially with the likes of England potentially moving back to kind of that old school 3-5-2 formation, which uh, plenty of people used to love back in the 80s and early 90s as well. I'm digging on it. I love the I love the fact of having two guys up front and that is showing my age. I just, I just love <laughs> the danger in, for both ways. You put danger on the opposition of having two guys who can score up front but it's also the danger of you being hit on the counter. So that, to me, is pure football. Yeah, look, one of my favourite sayings is kind of finding high risk is high reward sometimes. And you have to remember, sometimes you have to take that risk uh, and it's worthwhile. So that's exactly what Gareth Southgate would do with this national team. And uh, it's just going to be really interesting to see how uh, these international qualifiers over the next few weeks and really how football restarts. Uh, and whether or not we'll be able to see fans back in the stadiums over the coming weeks, uh, potentially, um, whether it be at a reduced rate, like at a 30% capacity, purely based on stadium size, or whether we'll just basically see what we have done, which is fans won't be allowed in stadiums and instead everything gets broadcast online. I think we'll see fans in at some stage, and I think it'll be the reduced fans. I think uh, I don't think football is going to be able to cope um, you know, in terms of people buying their season tickets and so forth without that happening to some extent. Um, but it's going to be interesting times. Pete, we're going to speak to you again next week, mate. How do we get you on Twitter there? Oh, look, just uh, do a quick little search of at Pete Novikovsky on Twitter, likewise on Instagram. And uh, yeah, always happy to chat some football and talk about women's football anytime. Oh, mate, we love having you on. I'm Paul underscore football. If you want to catch me on Twitter as well, we're always in for a conversation. And Pete, 
We only pod when we're winning. Cutting in. Sydney FC set another new benchmark. They're the first five-time champions in Australian football history.